0: This is a podcast about Jeopardy!
1: Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy! podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy! episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And
0: I'm Kyle. And this is the week of July 25th, 2022. And we have stuff to talk about. So we, sure we do. will get to that. First off, Emily, how are you?
1: I'm doing all right. Five ish weeks into sabbatical and the home portion of the sabbatical is kind of winding down. I'm about to go for a week at the place that used to be my church camp when I was a teenager, but they also run like adult retreat programs. So um, it's a week of churchy stuff uh, with Baking And, a, like, a food and, like, bread theme. Hmm. Yeah. And then I'll be okay. back for a little bit. And then off on a big road trip with my kids to Disney World again. Um.
0: Again. Again. Just can't yeah. get enough.
1: <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch of reasons that th- th- I have a bunch of rationalizations. But sure. yeah, no, we 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 really liked it. We're just we're just doing the whole thing again, but in late August, because you know what they say about Florida in late August, everyone loves it. Great weather. <laughs> it's
0: the it's the best choice.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it, it'll be fine. We'll 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 make it work. Um, as uh, as Tip Gun says. Um, <laughs> uh, We'll take, yep. we'll take midday pool breaks and, uh, yeah, no, we're, we're excited. And that's, uh, that's going to be sort of part of the itinerary, but there's a bunch of other things, you know, family visits and, uh, we'll do some things in Washington, DC and, you know, this is, it, it'll be a, it'll be a whole big adventure. So, nice. uh, yeah, no, I think it'll be fun. It's awesome. Yeah. Be... How are you doing?
0: Uh, I'm doing fine. This is pretty much the end of my summer break. Uh, I go back to work. Uh, once this comes out, uh, you know, on Tuesday. So jumping back into it. But, you know, I'm actually I'm looking forward to being about a month into the school year.
1: Because mm, I get that
0: for me, like one, quite possibly the hardest day of the school year for me is the first one. Because I don't like doing the I don't like going over norms and expectations. I know it's important and like it is something that I do. I just don't like it. I don't like doing all the intro stuff. I like being at the point where like we all get what we're doing and we are in it and we are like, you know, doing the work, we're making the music, we're doing like we're doing the stuff that I enjoy, right? <laughs> like I didn't become a teacher mm-hmm. to talk about how we talk to each other, right? That that's not me. But yeah. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it. I I it, I am feeling optimistic about the school year and yeah, just uh, yeah, things seem nice. to be looking good, so feeling good. One thing that we do need to talk about before we get to the episodes, this is the last week of the season, season 38. Uh, and the last few weeks, we've kind of gotten to, you know, back to normal. We haven't had a super champ in a in how mm-hmm. many weeks? Not sure, but maybe season 39 will also kind of return to equilibrium. Um, But uh, just a few days ago, Michael Davies put out a a note about uh, Mayan Bialik and Ken Jennings. Um, They are both going to continue their hosting duties. Uh, Ken, it looks like, is going to be the host of the main game through December, as well as the Second Chance Tournament and the Tournament of Champions. Uh, Mayim will do Celebrity Jeopardy. What else does this Mm -hmm. say? She'll take over from Ken in January and host a couple new tournaments. Like, what would these new tournaments be? Mm. They've already talked about the Second Chance tournament. What could, like, there's no mention of a teacher's tournament, but I would assume we'd have a teacher's tournament. And there was the professor's tournament, right? Like, maybe they're going to bring those back. Um, But he also talked about a number of things. Like uh, Emily said, you know, you're going on vacation here pretty soon. Mm -hmm. Uh, Repeats are coming up, repeat episodes over the next six weeks or so. So we will be taking a break at least for a couple of weeks again. Mm -hmm. We'll probably hop back in before the new season starts because six weeks is a long time. But uh, we'll attempt to keep you updated on our social media. But they're also going to be doing Jeopardy! highlights, like a three-minute recap uh, every day they're gonna be stepping on our turf
1: yeah they they're starting a, a podcast and yeah. they didn't even ask us
0: not even a courtesy call not even an
1: email i would have hosted it for them we could we could have we moved could, over from yeah. unofficial to official
0: hey we're we are we already have the setup we already have the logistics planned
1: we already have this extremely professional thing where, like, I definitely remember to update the social media. And I definitely oh,
0: I don't. edit and post on a timely schedule that is extremely reliable. And we already reach most of the Jeopardy! audience anyway.
1: <laughs> we love you listeners. We love you so much. All seven of you. <laughs> There's there's hey, more than seven. There is.
0: You know seven. what? You know what? I was looking at the numbers and the last couple of months, we've been up above like 125 every week
1: mm-hmm. in
0: terms of downloads, which mm-hmm. is which is which is more. So, hey, that's yeah. great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they're going to be doing an Inside Jeopardy weekly podcast, I think. Yeah. Hosted by Jeopardy producers. An inside look at everything going on behind the scenes, which, you know what? I'm kind of OK with. Because then we can make
1: we can be like a podcast about their podcast. Well,
0: kind of. I mean, we can mention things that they say, but also we don't know behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, that's true. So they they will be hitting stuff that we don't talk about, which is Mm -hmm. nice.
1: Yeah, that'll be good.
0: Um, And they're starting it like when this when I finally get this episode posted, their first episode might be up Monday. You know, August first is what they're Mm -hmm. planning, and they're going to share. He's he said he'd share the his vision for Jeopardy's future. Uh, including new developments in the areas of pop culture and sports, which probably means like bringing back sports jeopardy or doing some, you know, kind of thing along those lines. A Jeopardy mm-hmm. honors awards show, which what would that even be?
1: Yeah, um, I, I'm perplexed. And I, again, they haven't called me. <laughs> yeah,
0: I've like, t- I I not earned an award for anything. Just talk to us. Just I mean, yeah. we're here. Um, yeah. And then this this is what gets me. Uh, his biggest and most passionately held idea—a Jeopardy's Master League in prime time or on a streaming platform. What does that even mean? I'm so curious. Me too. Because I'm like and like
1: d- biggest and most passionately held idea. That's those are that's those are some big words. Yeah. For like, I mean, they're, they're for, regular size words, but but,
0: <laughs> but for the guy in charge, it seems like that means it's gonna be it's gonna be happening. And like, of course, my imagination is running wild thinking like, well, I mean, does this just mean like there's going to be like a rotating, is this just a series of like Jeopardy champions who get to come back? Because I would do that. Uh Is it perhaps Uh people who are, I don't know, uh, affiliated either officially or unofficially with the show who maybe make a weekly fan podcast? That mm. would then be able to, mm. I don't know, make recurring mm. appearances and be able to participate once more in Jeopardy. I wonder Jeopardy? if anyone
1: like that would be available.
0: I wonder. If, <laughs> I, bet, I bet if they reached out, they could find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, there's a lot of exciting stuff coming up. But before yeah. that, there's also a very exciting six-week break, which I don't very know about exciting. all of you listeners, but I get very excited about breaks. Mm. Uh yeah, so, so we'll, we'll, you know, we'll have this episode, we'll be off a couple of weeks, we'll jump back in, and then the new season will uh, eventually appear.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: I guess we should probably talk about the Jeopardy, though, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, let's do that.
0: All right, so on Monday, July 25th, we have the contestants, Angela Zhu a corporate lawyer from San Mateo, California, Ed Coulson, an economics and real estate professor from Dana Point, California, and Carla Fawcett, a content administrator from Saco, Maine, whose one-day cash winnings total $16,600. We have that Jeopardy round categories, Eastern European History, Breakfast Time, Eight Letter Words, Chemistry, Slow, and Your Role. Uh, Is it just me, or has the Crimean War come up more often on Jeopardy! of late than... Yeah,
1: than there's been a lot of Crimean War.
0: <laughs> references, for whatever yep. reason.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We saw that in the Eastern European history. Of course, it yes. is Eastern European history, and that's a pretty big part of it. Yep. So it wasn't really a stretch to get there.
1: Breakfast time was more a more diverse category than I had anticipated I guess like we had a breakfast cereal and then we had a a picture of a donut but I got there via the shares its name with a whiskey cocktail yeah (laughs) that's an old fashioned and then we had a question about what you might have for breakfast in Japan it's a soup made with a soybean paste of the same name that's miso and then a question about a macchiato macchiato and then a question about the Hawaiian dish, loco moco, you know, so like breakfast time came out and I was like, oh, it's going to be like cereal and like there'll be like eggs Benedict in there probably. Yeah, and like, and mash. Yeah. So it was it was more wide ranging than I anticipated, which yeah, is fun. That, yeah. is,
0: that is fun to see.
1: Yeah. Daily Double number one comes up in Eastern European history at the $600 level and Angela finds it at the fourth pick. She has four hundred to Carla's two hundred and Ed's negative two hundred. She wagers a thousand. There was some game this week, was it this one, where where a contestant said, "I'll make it a true daily double," and Ken pointed out that that would be less than the maximum. Oh yeah, that's that that's it was this, this one, one. Right here. Yeah, yeah, it was this one. So she said, "She said make it a true daily double," and Ken said, "You're you're wagering four hundred, then you can wager up to a And She said, "Oh, I'll make it a thousand. Yeah i think people get so excited to say true daily double that sometimes if they have less than the maximum they they miss
0: they don't think about it yeah
1: yeah so she wagers a thousand um and gets the clue now written in the latin alphabet moldova's language used to be written in this alphabet named for a ninth century priest and she gets it correct it is cyrillic named for saint cyril indeed so at the end of the jeopardy round uh Ed has taken the lead. He has 5,000. Angela's at 3,600 with Carla right behind her at 3,400. And we have the double jeopardy categories, U.S. Geography, Literature of the Middle Ages, It's a Bust, Special K, K in quotation marks, Celebrity Catchphrases, and homonyms. They didn't give an explanation there, but it was clues that led you to a word that was a homophone with a name. Yes. Yeah, made a hole in the earth. It's dug. Angela got that one. Hmm. Paris Hilton trademarked the phrase "That's hot." Yeah, I that,
2: have. Mm.
1: That seems like that seems like an overreach to me. I mean, i I'm not an intellectual property lawyer.
0: It, I agree, because <laughs> like <laughs> if I'm. If I'm handing a bowl of soup to my child and warning them, don't just jam your face in it. That's hot. Do I owe her royalties? What's going on there? I don't get it. Yeah.
1: Doesn't make sense. Somehow I don't think that she's talking about soup.
0: Yeah, but that's again, but like, yeah. so she trademarked it.
1: Yeah. No, what she am I did. supposed to do? She did. Yeah. <laughs>
0: not warn my child that uh-huh. a <laughs> time. whatever yeah All right. daily level number 2 is in It's a Bust at the $1,200 level Ed finds it, he's at $11,400 Carla's at 7000 Angela's at $5,200 uh, and he wagers 2500 gets the clue in the painting scene here, and they show a picture Rembrandt depicted Aristotle contemplating a bust of this poet and he knows it Right away, that's Homer.
1: Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three is isn't Celebrity Catchphrases at the $800 level. Carla finds it as the 19th pick. She has 9000 to Ed's $16,300 and Angela's 5200 She wagers $4,000, uh, trying to get more competitive with Ed without uh, risking... You know, dropping out of contention if she should miss. Uh, she gets the clue in twenty twelve. Merriam Webster added this phrase about inspiration, popularized by Oprah. Uh, she tries. What is <laughs> you get a car, which is great. Just go for That's it. A yeah. That's a good yeah. one. That's a good one. Aha moment is the correct response. I-, I had, I had did not know that that was an Oprah phrase. I came up with. Vision board as my guess, and I, I'm proud of it. I think that was a good guess. Yeah, I
0: think that's fine. I didn't come up with anything because I don't watch Oprah.
1: Yeah, no, so neither much. do I.
0: Alas. Uh, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Carla's at 7,000, Ed is at 18,700, and Angela is at 10,000. It's a good scoring game we get the final Jeopardy! category, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the clue, honored in 1998 as part of a rock group and in 2019 as a solo artist, this singer was the first woman to be inducted into the hall twice. And uh, this one, uh, Triple Stomper. Uh, Carla wrote, Who is Beyonce? Ken did a lot of education during this one, <laughs> um, explaining to people that there's a 25-year eligibility period. Um, so newer artists are likely not eligible. So Beyonce is not right. She wagered all 7,000. Uh, Angela wrote who is Gwen Stefani. That's also incorrect uh, and wagered 73.99. And Ed wrote who is Tina Turner. Uh, but that uh, is not correct. Tina has been inducted twice, but this is, but she was not the first. This is Stevie Nicks. Uh uh-huh. hmm Stevie Nicks, yep. who my dad likes to say he went to high school with Stevie Nicks just at a different high school in the same town. Okay. <laughs> I, that's that's my one connection that's to Stevie fair. Nicks. It's like, that's
1: fair. Yeah, I went
0: to high school with her. I mean, kind of. Like, we were in high school at the same time. In the same <laughs> <nation>. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> also, she was in Fleetwood Mac. I guess that's kind of more important,
1: but yeah i did not think of stevie nicks did you think of stevie nicks i i feel like i've heard that
0: before because her name came to mind immediately upon hearing okay. it and i was like is that right i don't remember learning it but i must have heard that fact at some point point." and now we'll always remember
1: nice so that brings us to tuesday we have the contestants Alexa Jacob, an electrical engineer from Queens, New York, Mark Stover, a physician from Flagstaff, Arizona, and Ed Coulson, an economics and real estate professor from Dana Point, California, whose one-day cash winnings total $17,399. And we have the Jeopardy round categories across history, fill in the play title, official state stuff, going around in circles. Seriously dedicated, uh, a category about artists with channels devoted to them on SiriusXM, and travel idioms.
0: The 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 category title of travel idioms, I thought, was kind of a misnomer. Like they are idioms that have to do. I, I like. I guess it's accurate. It's just like. To have your first drink after abstaining for a long time is to do this tumble that's falling off the wagon. In my mind, that has nothing to do with travel? Yeah. But I guess, like, the, I don't know. Yeah, I guess if the idea is the wagon is moving and you have fallen off, I, I,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: But I guess what else would you call them if not travel idioms? But they're not yeah. like I don't know they're not some idioms. Some of them are like you've...
1: some of them are vehicle idioms. Right.
0: But they're not really like cuz I was thinking okay what are idioms that you would use when talking about travel? You know. But Yeah. Of course I couldn't come up with any, but still.
1: Mhm. Do you find yourself as you're parenting probably yes. Like f- saying it's an idiom more often than you had anticipated well
0: because you say something and then the kids like you, what yeah. does that mean
1: uh-huh
0: like that's that's a fair question because really it's nonsensical and it seems like it i've it, just brought this thing in out of nowhere <laughs> yep and so the answer yeah the answer is like well it's a saying and here's what it means like, yeah oh.
1: I, I i say idiom so my kids are gonna grow up talking like dictionaries like <laughs> me so whoops um <laughs> <laughs> my kids thing, just
0: don't listen to me so it doesn't matter what i say
1: the other thing that i do all the time i'm trying to teach myself not to ask rhetorical questions mm. so yeah i'll say something like hey would you like to set the table yeah. and my kid will say no, no. <laughs> and then i'll say it was more of a and at this point they'll just jump in and fill, like finish the sentence it was more of a rhetorical question
0: <laughs> um, nice
1: uh, yeah, all the time
0: we yeah we have ended up with the, with the uh, i guess kind of training our kids to if we say something like that and they don't want to to ask us is that an ask or is that a tell and then we'll be like Ooh, that's a tell that's good that's good it works sometimes yeah <laughs> which, which is better than no times so i'll, I'll take that but so then we yeah. can we can clarify that was a tell the, uh, the $800 level of official state stuff showed a picture of the Appalachian dulcimer, which is the Kentucky State Instrument. It's a really cool instrument. And it is very regional. Like, you know, there are mm-hmm. a lot of instruments that are like, I don't know, kind of associated with the place, but people play them all over. Uh That is really not true of the Appalachian dulcimer.
1: Not to contradict you, (laughs) um, but weirdly, I have no idea how this came to be the case, but my mom played Dulcimer when I was growing up.
0: Well, did she play Dulcimer did she play Appalachian Dulcimer?
1: I mean, I'm looking, hold on, let's see. What does a non-Appalachian Dulcimer look like? The thing she played looks like the pictures I'm seeing of an Appalachian Dulcimer, although maybe they're... Differences that I'm not aware of. Well, she might have, but I mean, but yeah, it was this long, na- like the the long, narrow body with kind of the double like curvature, like yeah. that. I, I mean, and like worded- we're not <laughs> Appalachian at all. She it, she grew up in Indiana and then moved to Connecticut. I don't know. I'm going to have to ask her how it is that she came to play the dulcimer. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Curious. She's very into folk music though so well,
0: i mean yeah that would be a, that's a she good she also one listens to the
1: podcast sometimes hi mom tell me why you play the dulcimer
0: <laughs> yeah all right well fine some people outside of <laughs> appalachia play it
1: only only that I mean i i, At I can't least say i've met one. two i i can't say i've met a second one so
0: <laughs> all right Daily Double number one is in the Across History category at the six hundred dollar level. Pick number sixteen, and Ed finds it. He's at three thousand. Mark's at twenty four hundred. Alexa's at one thousand. Any wagers? Only a thousand. Gets a clue from the sixteen hundreds to the seventeen eighties. "Quote unquote," guests were sent to this structure, a state prison, via lettre de cachet, a direct order from the king. And uh, Ed knew that was the best deal because he listened to my podcast from two weeks ago.
1: That is the reason.
0: To my, Surely. To my deep dive, yes. Because mm-hmm. I talked about those with the Marquis de Son. Yep. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Ed is in the lead at seventy two hundred, Mark is at five thousand, Alexa is at twenty eight hundred, and we have the double jeopardy categories mountains, Idol Talk, I D O L Idle, uh, Scientific Laws and Theories, Middle Names, From Film to TV, and What's in Your Gullet? That was a fun category. It's just uh, different words, like the fancy scientific words for 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 things that eat things.
1: Yep. Yeah. If you're a pivorous, you get by dining on these. And Alexa got it. It's bees. Bees. Yeah. An apiary is like... Where you is keep a, bees. Is a, yeah. Yeah. Mycophagists. People who eat mushrooms. So, yeah, I thought that was a very fun category. Yes, I enjoyed it. At the $1,600 level of scientific laws and theories, I thought I saw Mark have the same thought process I always do. Uh, With the clue, this British doc who developed germ theory was the son of a microscope pioneer also named Joseph. And I thought I saw him ring and then go through the... It's not Pasteur, it's the other one. What's his name? (laughs) It's like the mouthwash. (laughs) Blister. And then he got it.
0: He did? He got there, yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. I I don't want to assume everyone has the exact same, you know, sort of (laughs) paths to, like, the, the, like, you know, sort of, uh, like, the trivia answers that you need to know, but they're not, like, the, the most common ones, right? Like, Pasteur comes up all the time. And then Lister Mm -hmm. is like kind of the secondary one. Yeah, very important guy, but you know, just doesn't come up as often as. Not necessarily
0: the first one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Should I take us to the daily double? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, daily double number one is in that scientific laws and theories category, at the twelve hundred dollar level, and Alexa finds it as the very first pick of the round. She has 2,800 at this point to Ed's 7,200 and Mark's 5,000, and she makes it a true daily double and gets the clue. The third law of thermodynamics says entropy tends to reduce as the temperature approaches this two-word state. She tries what is steady state, which is, you know, not a bad guess, but the correct response here is absolute zero. Mm -hmm. Uh, She says her chemical engineering friends will be sad. Yeah.
0: Good for her, having friends. It's a weird flex, but okay. <laughs> Yeah. Not all of us can be so lucky. Uh, and daily double number three comes in the middle names category at the $1,600 level. It's pick number 13. Uh, Ed finds this one. He's at 10800 Mark is at 10200 And Alexa is back at $800. Uh, he wagers 2000 Gets the clue, biblical middle name of the man said to be the richest person in the U.S. at his death in 1848. He he did not get this one, which I think is fair. That's a number of, I don't know, hoops to have to jump through. Yeah. And to me, the biblical, I don't know, that threw me off because it took too much of my focus. hmm But that's Jacob from John Jacob Astor. Yep. Which makes sense. Like, I know John Jacob Astor was a very rich man and... whatever. But I was... I immediately started thinking of biblical names instead of trying to really figure out who that person was. Oh, well.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I did not get that figured out. So at the end of the double Jepo- Jeopardy round, Ed is in the lead with 16,000. Mark is at 11,400. is at 4,800. And we have the final jeopardy category literary animals i love that category and the clue this children's book character introduced in 1926 and a friend of the title creature gets his name from the sound he might make alexa tries who is hop the bunny um and ken you know tries to you know sort of hyper up. he's like that's a sound bunny but make." Like, uh, but that's not correct. She's wagered 3401, dropping her to 1399. Mark has it correct. He has who is Eeyore. Um, he spelled a E E dash O R, but you know, it just has to be phonetically correct. And that when you read that, that out loud, that. it's Eeyore. Yep. Eeyore. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's wagered 1799, bringing him up to 13199. And Ed has it correct and spelled correctly. Uh, Eeyore is E-E-Y-O-R-E. And he's wagered 6801 cover bet, uh, which puts him at 22,801 and gives him his second win. That is right. I thought that was a fun question. Yeah,
0: I liked that one. I like Eeyore.
1: Yeah, me too. I think
0: a lot of us can really relate to
1: Eeyore. Yep.
0: He's a mascot for a generation. Okay, uh, so on Wednesday, we have the contestants Brianne Barker, a biology professor from Madison, New Jersey, Colleen Burney, a court monitor from Milford, Connecticut, and Ed Coulson, an economics and real estate professor from Dana Point, California, whose two-day cash winnings are now $40,200. We have the Jeopardy! round categories. The Southern U.S. Fiction. A prisoner of your own device. Alliteration. Tennis Aces and acceptable two-letter Scrabble words.
1: Mm.
0: I like that they uh, they specified acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like if you just put two-letter Scrabble words, that would also imply that, but it's good to clarify. I really like the $600 level of that, though. George Takei's two-word te- catchphrase. That's,
1: oh, oh my. my. Yes. Oh my. Uh, I do not appreciate that George Takei was propagating some some uh, Jeopardy conspiracy theory stuff a while back. What, was it was it when people said that James Holtower must have thrown the game because surely he could not lose? I can't remember. It, it might
0: have been something. I do remember that <laughs> yeah. there was some point that he was like, he'd taken very clearly the wrong side on a Jeopardy thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But that's okay. I mean, you know.
0: If that's the worst that George Takei has done, yeah, then he's he's doing all right.
1: I go. I was very attacked by the prisoner of your own device category.
0: Why ever? <laughs> well, Why ever would that of, be?
1: First of all, the two hundred dollar level wanted to know about um, uh, the short term mobile video site. It says. I think of it as an app, but I guess they have a website, uh, yeah. which fittingly has, has Kesha has an account on that's TikTok. I'm on TikTok. I I don't create. I mostly consume. Um, and like then and American. then we and and then as if they had not already come for me personally, there were there was a question about Candy Crush, which I lost a lot of my life to, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot.
0: See, and you could have been losing a lot of your life to really high quality video games like I have done. Yeah. Just kidding, there's nothing wrong with Candy Crush. Or any other
1: My My son puzzle. played Candy Crush for a little bit. Um, like somehow, like it auto-downloaded onto the iPad when I downloaded it onto my re-downloaded it onto my phone, and he like was able to get in and play Candy Crush, which I'm not sure I realized was happening until he said, "Mom, do you know that if you make a vertical line and a horizontal line, you get a disco chocolate?" <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> the the, um the neologism disco chocolate for like whatever those colorful balls are that like explode the whole board (laughs) i think what else would you call forever i don't know what they're supposed to be called but they're a disco chocolate forever to me um that's
0: all i would call them yep (laughs) seems like the best name uh the thousand dollar level of fiction This Anthony Doerr novel is tied together by the idea of a paradise for birds also found in an Aristophanes play. That's Cloud Cuckoo Land. I thought that was just made up for the Lego movie. I did not know that that had any kind of basis in anything else. Huh. Because the name Cloud Cuckoo Land sounds really fitting in the Lego movie. (laughs) And not anywhere else.
1: (laughs) Wait, Cloud Cuckoo Land was in the Lego movie?
0: yeah it's where they uh it's where they go to make their plans with all the other people right where abraham lincoln flies away on his rocket chair
1: yep god i mm-hmm. love that movie mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love that movie so much <laughs> it's a great movie yeah i need to add that anthony doran novel to my reading list apparently, by apparently. the way all right uh Daily Double number one is in the Southern U.S. category, at the six hundred dollar level, and Brienne finds it as the thirteenth pick. She has two thousand at this point. It adds twenty four hundred, and Colleen six hundred. She wagers fifteen hundred of it, so she's looking to take the lead. And she gets the clue: It's estimated that there are as many as seventy streets in Atlanta with this fruity nine-letter name. <laughs> I love the word "estimated" here. <laughs> There's no <laughs> like, way of knowing. <laughs> who can really count? <laughs> um,
0: it's more a state of uh, mind than a real number.
1: Yeah. it's If you've ever been to Atlanta, you, I think, will get this one pretty easily. Brienne gets it. It's Peachtree. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Brienne is in a solid lead with 8,700, Eds at 3,600, Colleen's at 2,000, and we have the Double Jeopardy categories, Notable Women, Oscar winners TV roles, the animal kingdom transportation bc in o- in quotation marks and ad
0: which I, I, I guess ad was just stuff that happened in the last
1: 2022 years right yeah I,
0: <laughs> I thought it might be a little more a little more focused but uh, apparently not
1: yeah okay so the $1200 Level of transportation reminded me of one of my favorite bits of etymological trivia, which I'm going to subject everyone to now. Uh, the clue is Greek for circle. It gives us the name of this helicopter relative. And um, they had a video or maybe it was a picture. Um, it was a triple stumper. Gyrocopter is the answer they were looking for. And one of my favorite weird etymologies. So helicopter you would think that it breaks into, like, Heli mm-hmm. and Copter, right? And then you're like, well, Heli, like, is it Sun? Like, what does Copter mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Um, it's it's not. Uh, it, that's not. It's Helico. It's like Helix. And then Tear, like Wing, mm-hmm. uh, like a Pteranodon with the silent P. Which suggests to me that it should be Gyro pter, yeah, Gyropter, unless it's right? gyro-co. Like, right? Because the co is from is from the end of the, the helico, hel- yeah. yeah, from helico, yeah. But yeah, it's it's not heli and copter, it's helico and pter, pter. yeah, <laughs> yeah, helix wing. Which I don't know. I just think that's really fun. I do too.
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because it doesn't make as much sense. Like it's not as intuitive, right? We think of it otherwise. Yeah. So.
1: I had, just before I saw this episode, I saw a video of orcas, like, hunting down a great white shark to eat its liver, Um, and so when I saw the $1,200 level of, despite being apex predators, great white sharks are hunted by these cetaceans, which remove and eat their livers, I was like, well, it can't be orcas, because, like, that would be too much of a coincidence, but it was. It was orcas. (laughs) Absolutely was. Yeah. Uh,
0: Which is, and eat their livers. How do animals... I don't know. That seems. Wouldn't they just eat the shark, <laughs> right? Like, wh- why do they get picky about certain parts?
1: Mm-hmm. And also, yeah.
0: how do they figure that out?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, it's wild. Yeah, yeah. How do they figure it out?
0: Everything is a mystery. I mean, probably a, a liver smells different, and I yeah, know, but but like, but like, why? 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 Different
1: is- enough that you can be like, I want to eat. Just one part of the insides of that, and also by, yeah, and right? like,
0: like yeah, and and why? Why is it great whites? Like let's go, let's go, mess up this this one shark, and only eat one part of it. It's <laughs> it's so weird to me. I, it doesn't make that sense. That is
1: something that is supposed to be reserved for us as humans.
0: Yeah, we're the ones with the and the orcas need
1: to step off. Yeah,
0: we're the ones with the weird eating things. <laughs> Let us have this orcas,
1: maybe the orcas should start um having farms where they force feed the great white sharks, so that the livers will be more scrumptious,
0: maybe, yes, um just like okay, but I mean, we're not going to go, go down this road <laughs> I don't, <laughs> don't want to get into I don't want to get into that,
1: yeah, the ethics of foie gras are like I don't want to think about it, but
0: like veal is just so tasty
1: yeah i I am. Like, veal, like, I, I don't know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a huge veal consumer, but, like, foie gras, like, I understand how unethical it is, and having tasted it, I just, I just make an exception for myself on <laughs> that just, one. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. If it I try to do the right thing in most areas of my life, but the foie gras just tastes really good.
0: <laughs> if it's so bad, why did God make it taste so good?
1: <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Huh?
0: Uh, answer me that yeah
1: no that's that's the question
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh all right I should go to daily double yeah uh all right daily double number two is pick number two in the round it's early on it's in the animal kingdom at the eight hundred dollar level uh Ed finds it he's at four thousand Colleen's at two thousand Brian is up at eighty seven hundred and he bets all four thousand, which I think is very smart in this situation gets the clue this North American marsupial has a gestation period of as little as twelve days um and he names the only North American marsupial uh, that's an opossum.
1: Yeah. Opossums are interesting creatures and also I find them terrifying. They're so cute.
0: What's terrifying about them? Is it the wickedly sharp teeth? Yeah. Is it the they're, the, they're the, big
1: the... too. They're big. Yeah. One time I was taking a walk at night in Central Park trying to hurry up and go into labor <laughs> before I <laughs> got induced. And two possums fighting just sort of rolled out on the path in front of me. And they're terrifying. They're terrifying animals.
0: Is it their their evil looking red eyes? And
1: yeah. The
0: fact that they look like they've already been flayed? <laughs> could it be any of those things
1: it could be it could be that they're like everything unpleasant about the way a rat looks but like maybe maybe 60 times the size of a rat like yeah i don't know they're, they're, <laughs> yeah
0: i just think they're cute whatever
1: anyway daily double number three is in transportation at the 1600 level and colleen finds it at the 29th pick Eleventh uh, hour daily double here. Uh, she has eleven thousand two hundred to Ed's seventeen thousand six hundred and Brienne's fourteen thousand seven hundred. Colleen wagers three thousand, which, on the one hand, she will still be theoretically within range if she misses. On the other hand, if she gets it right, she's still going to be in sec- in third place.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. So I would I would go bigger. Here I think. Anyway, she gets the clue. This type of sturdy horse-drawn wagon of early America got its name from the Pennsylvania region where it was developed. She tries what is a buggy, but a Conestoga wagon is -hmm. the correct response. Which came to mind for me, but I wasn't sure if that was a Pennsylvania region. So, I... mean, Yeah. yeah.
0: It sounded right. And it's the only, like, specific name for a wagon that I could think of. Yep. So, like, "Mm, seems... Seems reasonable. Yeah. so she drops a little bit Uh, so at the end of the double jeopardy round Ed has lead at 17,600 Colleen is at 8,200 and Brianna is at 14,700 we get the final jeopardy category real people in poetry and the clue Milton wrote of this contemporary when by night the glass of him observes imagined lands and regions in the moon Colleen uh, did not offer a guess and uh, wagered 2,200 Brienne offered, "Who is John Donne, the poet?" Uh, mm. and wagered three thousand, which is a good bet. Uh, so she drops to eleven thousand seven hundred. Uh, and Ed guessed who is Spencer, and made a cover bet of eleven thousand eight hundred. Uh, Spencer was also incorrect. They were not looking for a poet; they were looking for Galileo. Mm-hmm. By night, the glass of Galileo did not. Did not get there. I definitely was thinking, trying to think of poets.
1: Uh, you know, I, I figured out that Milton was probably writing about someone else who was not a poet and uh, guessed Galileo. Nice. Hoping that the time period was right. But yeah, it would have been my guess, but I would not have been confident. So, but a tricky one there. I think um, this contemporary maybe, maybe led people to think more colleague than just...
0: Person who is alive at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, that brings us to Thursday, where we have the contestants Katrina Hill, a non-profit professional from Alexandria, Virginia, Heidi Reese, a patent examiner, originally from Bay City, Michigan, and Breanne Barker, a biology professor from Madison, New Jersey, whose one-day cash winnings total 11700 And we have the Jeopardy! round categories, The Industrial Revolution, You Call Yourself a Fan... A Fashionable Category, 40 Years of USA Today, Team Rhymes, each correct response will rhyme with the word team, and West Virginia and Regular Virginia. Uh. (laughs) Virginians definitely do not call it Regular Virginia.
0: No, but that was... um, But
1: that's...
0: (laughs) It's the Jeopardy joke, right? It was... um, I don't remember which contestant it was who called it Regular Virginia, one of the Jeopardy writers tweeted about it, like I just had to. I couldn't I couldn't not do it. I don't remember.
1: Ugh, that's this is great. No, I'm 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 going down the rabbit hole now. Oh, oh this is great.
0: It's very good.
1: Yep. Yeah. Oh, they were looking for a state. Somebody somebody guessed Tennessee, the next person guessed West Virginia, and then the next person guessed regular Virginia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh and so this is this is a callback for for almost five months later yeah i, I, I missed it but i love a good callback
0: i do too i like this very much it was
1: yeah. really good. <laughs> somebody tweeted a link to an iheart regular virginia t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome oh oh my goodness all right well that's that's great and then it was just a bunch of like very you know straightforward West Virginia and regular Virginia questions.
0: Yeah, they were fine questions. It was like no issue there, but just very, just really clever. Yeah, really fun.
1: That's so awesome.
0: Yeah.
1: Hey, Brianne ran the "You call yourself a fan" category.
0: Apparently, so. she was a fan. Yeah. I know I shouldn't give like. You know, amplify people who don't know what they're talking about or who like make big deals out of nothing. But the $600 clue the Cameron crazies are students who show undying support for this university's Blue Devils basketball teams. Katrina rang in and guessed what is UNC? It's not correct. Brianne got the rebound with Duke. They are both in North Carolina and they are rivals. Mm -hmm. And there were apparently a lot of people who think that literally everyone in the world should know college basketball teams and should know that Duke is the Blue Devils. Yeah. Now, okay, that's a valid trivia thing to know, but, like, it is as valid as any other thing that's on here just because... Oh God, it makes me so angry. Just because you know something does not mean that other people care what you have... Mm-hmm. Like, they, it, no, Other people don't have to care about the same things you care about. You're really into college basketball? Great. You're a North Carolina yep, good fan? For you. Cool. I don't have to care about that. Like, <laughs> it does not matter to me who you root for. And just because I don't do it doesn't make me like, ugh, makes me angry. And mm-hmm. again, it's probably just, you know, a handful of people making a big stink, but still, like, ugh. Yep. This attitude of some things well, everyone should know. It's like, why? Sure, some things everyone should know. But college basketball mascots? That is not it. Anyway. Uh, I'm getting
1: more. Good. Yeah. Alright. Yeah. Agreed.
0: Go. Yep. I'll go Alright, uh, Daily Double number one. Gotta calm myself down with the Industrial Revolution. It's at the two thousand <laughs> or at the thousand dollar level. Very <laughs> <laughs> uh Brianne finds it. She's at seven thousand, Heidi's at twenty two hundred, Katrina's at three thousand, and she wagers two thousand. And the clue is, a mass trial in 1813 resulted in many hangings for these machine-smashing foes of the changes the Industrial Revolution brought. I don't think she understood the clue, because she guessed what are sewing machines, but those are the Luddites.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Which gets now used as just sort of a, you know, a term for people who are not super conversant with contemporary technology. Has that has that historical origin. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I'm not sure that folks who use the expression Luddite are necessarily always aware of that.
0: Right. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Brianna's at 7,400, Heidi's at 2,800, and Katrina is at 3,000. Know, the Double Jeopardy categories authors go forth and rule for, forth with Roman numerals, uh, plant parts, loco for logos, starts with two vowels, and what's the name of that song? which is just, they give you the artist and some lyrics. Also, all of the song titles are names of people. $1,200 level of go forth and rule. Second century BC efforts by Syrian king Antiochus IV to suppress Judaism led to a revolt by this family, including Judah. And Heidi got that. That's the Maccabees. I know that because of (laughs) Rugrats. Because, uh... Tommy Pickles and his family, uh, they are Jewish. And so yep. they did a, a Hanukkah episode where uh, Tommy is Judah Maccababy. And <laughs> that, has, that has just always stuck in my head.
1: <laughs> there is no wrong I'm reason waiting. to know a thing. That's right. That's great. Um, I haven't like rewatched Rugrats as an adult. I watched it as a kid and my, my understanding is that like the like its representation of Judaism is like pretty solid, right? Like there's there's a lot of people who, you know, growing up in an area that didn't you know, where they didn't uh, encounter like the Jewish community in person, like got that kind of got their exposure to it through Rugrats and it's like, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's solid, you know, they do a good job.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean like I, as far as I can remember back, I've never, I have always known that Hanukkah is not Jewish Christmas, right?
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Like, which a lot of people are just kind of like, well, yeah, that's what it is. They give gifts and it's in December, right? Got it. It's like, well, no, that's not not what it is. (laughs) Yeah. But because of the grass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, this is entirely different. Pretty sure I'm getting a shout out in the plant parts category at the $800 level. Uh, The jumping cholla species of this has detachable spines with barbs that resemble a porcupine squill. Uh, Katrina got it. That's a cactus. One of my extremely interesting interview stories uh, from Jeopardy was about the time that I uh, got my my ankle mangled by a jumping cholla,
2: Hmm.
0: and I talked about it. Okay. It was not interesting. But it's so hard to come up with interesting things to talk about.
1: (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yep. I feel ya. Everybody hates the interview portion. Every (laughs) contestant.
0: Yeah. I mean, Jeopardy! wouldn't be Jeopardy! if they didn't do it. You know? Like, I don't want it to go away, but also it sucks. But also it has to suck to be part... Like, I don't... It's weird. It's very weird.
1: Yep. Uh, Daily Double number two is in that authors category at the eight hundred dollar level, and Heidi finds it as the seventh pick. She has three thousand two hundred at this point, to Brienne's eight thousand six hundred and Katrina's five thousand eight hundred. She wagers twenty five hundred, uh, which will bring her up to just behind Katrina, but still in third place. She gets the clue: a nineteen oh three courthouse in this state is preserved as a museum because, as a young girl, Harper Lee watched her dad argue cases there, and she gets it correct. It's Alabama.
0: And Daily Devil number three is in the plant parts category down at the $2,000 level. Uh, Katrina finds it. She is at $10,200. Brianna is at $11,800, and Heidi is at $5,700. And uh, she wagers $2,000. It'll put her in the lead, uh, but not by much. She gets a clue the business part of this plant, Dianea miscipula. Consists of two hinged lobes triggered by hair-like sensors, and she gets that right with uh, what is a Venus flytrap. I thought it was k- kind of easy for a two thousand dollar clue, but
1: yeah, agreed.
0: But she gets it.
1: Uh, and so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, um, Katrina is in the lead with twenty thousand two hundred. Brian's at eight hundred, and Heidi's at seventy three hundred. And we have the final Jeopardy category: Countries of Europe. And the clue, it's the only independent survivor of the Spanish March, buffer states created to protect Christian Europe from the Moors. Heidi has it correct. She has What is Andorra? She's wagered 7,200, all but 100, bringing her up to 14,500. Brienne tried What is Portugal, so she'll drop down. She has wagered 13,795. Um, so all but five bucks that brings her down to $5. Uh, she'll finish in third and Katrina did get it correct. She has what is Andorra. Um, and she had the lead. So she has a cover bet of 7,401, uh, which gives her a total of 27,601 and the win. Yeah. And a good game.
0: Yeah. That was a good game. Uh, so that brings us to Friday where we have the contestants, Luigi de Guzman, a, an attorney from Arlington, Virginia, Darren Cacciatelli, an associate professor of rhetoric and composition from Long Beach, California, and Katrina Hill, a nonprofit professional from Alexandria, Virginia, whose one-day cash winnings is twenty-seven thousand six hundred one. And we have the Jeopardy round categories: islands and peninsulas, governors, business abbreviations, movie facts. Just take the L. And how do you sleep at night?
1: When when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And we're, when you're about to go to Disney World, everything is like has to do with Disney. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: We had um, we had the clue about uh, this Florida governor signing a bill to end Disney World's special district status in twenty twenty two in the in the four hundred dollar level of governors that's uh that's Ron DeSantis. So we had a direct Disney World reference. Uh Luigi got that one. And uh and then we and then we also had a question about up, which is, you know, Disney owns Pixar now. Right. I guess we also had some Star Wars stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah we did. Um like, Oh, it's Disney. <laughs> ah, of course it is. Um, Everything's Disney. Yeah. Um, Daily Double number one is in Islands and Peninsulas at the $1,000 level, and Luigi finds it as the sixth pick. He has 1800 uh, Katrina's at zero, and Darren's at negative 800, so he's the only one with any money, and he makes it a true Daily Double and gets the clue 55 miles from Siberia, the westernmost point of the North American continent, is on this peninsula, named for a man big in Alaskan history. And it looked to me like he was kind of guessing, but he gets, gets it right with what is the Seward Peninsula.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Katrina's in the lead with 7,000. Luigi's right behind her with 6,800. Darren's at 2,800. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, history, French phrases, character study with, a, with the C in quotation marks. Um, Ken sort of did the contestants a favor by really hitting that C really hard every time he said the category name. Mashed up sitcom titles, watercolors, and let's go fishing. I don't know how many times Ken had a chance to say character study, but when he when he did
0: He made he it like, very clear. Yeah. He made it very clear.
1: It's it's the contestant's job to remember the category and to like make sure their answer fits within the category. Yeah. But The host can sometimes help them out a little bit. I mean, Alex would do that, too. Yeah, he sometimes would.
0: Like, yeah, just remember your category or whatever.
1: Yeah. Would you consider King of the Hill a sitcom? Yes. Okay. So do you think they would have taken King of the Hill and the Big Bang Theory as a response for the $400 level of mashed up sitcom titles King of Theory? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah. Um, absolutely. I okay. Mean, it,
0: it It is not live action, which a lot of times people will point to as like, well, it's a cartoon. Like, yes, but it is a situational comedy in exactly the same way that any other sitcom is. Yeah. It just happens to be animated.
1: Yeah. They seemed to be looking for a King of Queens there. That was the response that sure. Luigi provided and it was expect- accepted. But I wondered to myself, they would have, uh, whether they would have taken that. Um, Katrina clearly has been listening to the back catalog of the podcast. It is the only possible reason she could have gotten the $800 level of watercolors. She not only provided the story for creations like Benjamin Bunny, but also Vivid Watercolors. Uh, That's Beatrix Potter.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I did a very early deep dive. Very
0: early. One of the first.
1: Yep. And uh, Darren clearly has listened to your Salvador Dali deep dive. Mm
0: -hmm. Only way you could ever know about Dali. (laughs)
1: So many topics we've covered.
0: We're running out.
1: (laughs) Seriously, though, there are are some weeks where, like, the appealing triple stumpers. I'm like, "Mm, we've already done that. That's
0: true. That's true. We are. Yeah. At at least we're covering the things that people miss. So that's good. Yeah. We might just have to start picking other things. Uh, Daily Double number two is in the history category at the $1,200 level. Darren finds it. Pick number nine, he's at 7,200. Katrina's at 6,200. At, Luigi's at 9,200. he ninety-two hundred. be 2,000, so he'll be tied with Luigi, if he gets it right. And he gets the clue. In January 1536, this royal gave birth to a stillborn male child. By May, she was deceased. Uh, and he cannot come up with it, but that is Anne Boleyn.
1: Mm-hmm. Again, connecting to a recent deep dive. Yes. Yeah. Um, and daily double number three is in character study at the twelve hundred dollar level as well. Darren finds this one too. Um, this time he has six thousand to Katrina's sixty two hundred and Luigi's ninety two hundred. Oh yeah, their scores haven't changed. It's only been a couple clues. Yeah, it's only been yeah. Dar- Darren had one correct clue between daily doubles, so he he wagers. 3000 and gets the clue. She's the heroine of Wuthering Heights and Alex Trebek loved to imitate Laurence Olivier repeating her name. I'm not sure how often Alex Trebek is like name checked in the content of the clue itself. Mm-hmm. A couple
0: times though, this time. And I think, I think last week there was one, but there I may could have be been.
1: Wrong. Yeah. Anyway, he gets it correct. Uh, with Catherine, Catherine Earnshaw. hmm.
0: We've talked enough about weathering ice.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't especially remember Alex doing that particular impression, but he had a bunch of bits. He did. He he had some. He had some regular
0: go-tos. So, at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Katrina is at eleven thousand eight hundred. Darren is at eleven thousand, and Luigi is at twenty thousand eight hundred. This is a high-scoring game, and we have the final Jeopardy category: tech history. And the clue, for about 20 years after its invention, it had few practical uses. Then suddenly, it revolutionized grocery checkouts and home audio. Darren, actually all of them got it correct. Darren wrote, what is laser technology? Uh, That is correct. He wagered $29.94, which is an interesting number. I really don't know why he would land on four, but he did. Uh, Katrina also wrote, Uh, what is lasers crossed out barcodes Uh, and wagered 9001 and Luigi got it correct with what is the laser and uh, wagered a cover bet of 2601 so Luigi wins and gets to rest for I think until I think actually taping for next season starts on Monday is my understanding so he has had a rest and he will go back to taping Pretty soon. Yeah. So so there we go. That is the end of the week. And this is the point in the show where we remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potent potables. You can go there to find a bit of exclusive content and you can support us financially there. You can slide us a few bucks a month and that will help us just be able to maintain the podcast. Uh, And of course, if, supporting this very important show that will soon be uh, brought alongside the official Inside Jeopardy podcast uh, if we can speak it into the universe um, is not the most important thing for you or where you feel like your money needs to go. That is totally understandable. Uh, we uh, encourage you to look to any number of uh, organizations that are doing good work. We uh, the, You can find a number of links in the show notes. Recently we've been Uh, Highlighting Mm abortionfunds.org. So, Emily, what are your deep dive guesses?
1: Are we talking about Conestoga wagons?
0: We are not talking about Conestoga wagons.
1: Okay. Are we talking about Luddites?
0: We are talking about the Luddites. Yes! It's good to go out. Go out in style. It feels right to go into the the season break with you getting it right. Uh, yes, we're talking about the Luddites because um, I remember I remember learning about them in in European history, but I could not remember anything other than like they did not like technology, right? Because that, that's kind of the term and the way it's used nowadays. Um, but there's there's a little bit more to it. Uh, not really a lot more to it. So this isn't going to be a particularly huge deep dive, but. We're going we're gonna to get some context on the Luddites. Awesome. The Luddites were a secret oath-based organization of English textile workers in the 19th century. A radical faction which destroyed textile machinery. <clears throat> uh, the group are believed to have taken their name from uh, the character of Ned Ludd who was supposedly a, a, a weaver from Anstey near Leicester. Um but I'll talk a little bit about Ned Ludd, and we're pretty sure he wasn't real. Um, They protested against manufacturers who used machines in what they called a fraudulent and deceitful manner to get around standard labor practices. Uh, And part of their concern was they feared that the time spent learning the skill of their craft would go to waste as machines would replace their role in the industry. So that's part of the Luddite movement and ideal. It's not the only thing, as we'll talk about. There's more context to it. The name Luddite is of uncertain origin. Um, the movement is said to be named after Ned Ludd, uh, who is supposedly an apprentice uh, near Leicester who allegedly smashed two stocking frames in 1779. A stocking frame is a mechanical knitting machine uh, that's used in the, in the textile industry. Um, so supposedly this guy destroyed a couple of them and his name became synonymous with with like machine destroyers. However, Ned Ludd really wasn't a real person. Uh, his name didn't didn't appear in a 17 or 1779. Not sure why that's the year. Uh, his name didn't really appear until the 1810s. Hmm. Uh, an article in the Nottingham Review from December 20th of 1811 tells the story of Ned Ludd, but like there's there's no corroborating evidence. And eventually, uh, the name developed into the imaginary General Ludd or uh, King Ludd who was supposedly lived in Sherwood Forest, much like Robin Hood. Hmm. Could also be that Ludd, L-U-D, or like Luth, L-U-D-D, was a like legendary Celtic king of the Isles of Britain, uh, according to Geoffrey of Monmouth's History of the Kings of Britain, which uh, was a um, an old work, an old hi- uh, historical tome. Supposedly, King Lud founded London <clears throat> and was buried at Ludgate, uh, which doesn't actually exist anymore. Um, but there's there are a couple of roads named like Ludgate Street or Ludgate Circus or whatever, which is where it was. So who knows? <laughs> who knows where this really comes from? But they had the character of Nedlund. So the lower classes of the 18th century, uh, really, like leading up to this, they weren't, th- this wasn't like a, a disloyalty to the king or the government, so to speak. Um, and a lot of the lower classes were afraid to act out in this way because the punishments were pretty severe. Parliament was extremely on the side of the rich. Imagine that. And so, shocking, you know, workers demonstrating for their rights were quickly uh, put down. However, the working conditions were harsh in the English textile mills, um, but they couldn't really do that much um, as the Industrial Revolution got going. And uh, factory owners were able to replace people with machines and also churn out textiles uh, faster and more cheaply than the skilled artisans were able to do um. The, you know the textile workers in england lost their jobs or lost business and became concerned because when you are suddenly unemployed you still need to put food on the table it makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense part of the luddite goal was to gain better bargaining position with their with the employers with the the factory and mill owners so uh th- there are historians who argue that the luddite movement and the movements of the early 19th century should be viewed in the context of the hardships of suffered by the working class during the Napoleonic Wars, right? Rather than an absolute aversion to machinery, right? The Luddites weren't they didn't hate machines. They were they were upset that because the war was expensive and taxpayers had to foot the bill and they were losing their jobs, like obviously they were upset that they were put in a position that they had no control over. And the Luddites were not the only movement here. Uh, Irregular rises in food prices provoked the Keelmen of Tyne and Ware to riot in the port of Tyne in 1710. Obviously, this was like a hundred years earlier. Tin miners stole from the granaries in Falmouth in 1770 or 1727. A rebellion in Northumberland and Durham in 1740. Assaults on Quaker corn deals in 1756. Like this was this was not a standalone thing. Yeah. And in fact, even afterward, there were uh, there was an ag- agricultural uprising called the swing riots in 1830 uh, which focused on breaking threshing machines so there was context around that hmm. um, before the 1810s before the actual like Luddite movement there was there were some acts of uh, handloom weavers burning mills and pieces of factory machinery and other you know textile uh, equipment in the late 18th century and that led to the protection of stocking frames etc act of 1788 uh, by parliament which made it a crime to destroy or tamper with uh, machinery that you know served an industrial purpose and so uh, the Luddite movement kind of followed along that trend Uh, it began in Arnold Nottingham uh, on the 11th of March 1811 and spread rapidly throughout England over the following two years. Uh, the economy, the British economy, was suffering quite a bit during this time uh, because of the Napoleonic Wars. The continental system of Napoleon was his system to essentially make sure that England couldn't, like, get stuff from the continent, right? To, to starve mm-hmm. him out. Like, he wasn't able to invade, which we I kind of talked about with the Battle of Trafalgar, but... He could, he could try to starve them out. And also the War of 1812 was uh, er, I- increasing conflict with the United States and the War of 1812 coming up uh, caused, some, caused some problems too. Uh, the Luddites met at night on the moors surrounding industrial towns to practice military-like drills and maneuvers. Their main areas of operation began in Nottinghamshire, followed by West Riding of Yorkshire uh, in early 1812, and then Lancashire in 1813. Uh, they went around and they smashed stocking frames and cropping frames and other uh machinery there was no national organization but they they were you know they trained they knew who they were and it was like a like i said a a secret oath organization like you knew who the others were and they kept it on the down low they did face off against the british army at burton's mill in middleton and west mill outon I don't know how to pronounce it uh, in Lancashire uh, and they also sent anonymous death threats and possibly attacked magistrates food merchants uh, among others in lowborough they smashed Heathcote's lace making machine in 1816 in 1817 an unemployed nottingham stockinger 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 I guess and probably excellentddite named Jeremiah brandreth led the Pentrick uprising or Pentrick revolution, which was an armed uprising unrelated to machinery, but it can still be viewed as kind of like a, uh, like an outgrowth of the Luddite movement. Mm. So pretty quickly the government got involved Uh, again, the middle class and upper glass upper class were solidly against the Luddites because they were working class people and they were causing problems. Um, So the British army clashed with them on several occasions Uh, And at one time, there were more British soldiers fighting the Luddites than there were fighting Napoleon on the Iberian Peninsula, which is interesting. One group of Luddites led by a man named George Mellor ambushed and assassinated a mill owner uh, named William Horsfall of Ottowell's Mill in Marsden, West Yorkshire. Uh, The four men were arrested, and one of the men turned informant, which led to the other three being hanged. Lord Byron was one of the few lords who uh, took, took the side of the workers. Uh, he denounced what he considered the plight of the working class and the government's policies and ruthless rep- repression. Uh, he argued in the House of Lords in 1812 about it, and he didn't really get to do much. <laughs> he did not make much headway. He made some enemies among the lords, but uh, the, the British government really... Just moved to suppress the Luddite movement pretty quickly. They had a mass trial at York in January 1813, which uh, we learned about in the uh, Jeopardy clue. Following the attack at Cartwright's Mill, uh, they charged over 60 men, including Miller and his companions, with various crimes. Uh, some of the charges held, uh, however, many of them, many of the, those charged were were released. Uh, but the, the harsh sentences of those found guilty, which included execu- execution and penal transportation to Australia, quickly ended the movement. Uh, Parliament made machine-breaking or industrial sabotage a capital crime with the Frame-Breaking Act of 1812, which was a kind of an addendum to the uh, earlier Protection of Stocking Frames, etc. Act. Lord Byron opposed the legislation, but not very many other Uh, lords or members of parliament did. So that was like, that was basically it. the Luddite movement. There wasn't really a main leader. Uh, It lasted for a number of years in various kind of like manifestations. And it was really less of a, we hate machines and technology and more of a, we need livelihoods and means to survive. And we're going to do it. However we see, you know, however we're able uh, so in the 19th century, occupations that arose from the growth of trade and shipping in ports and also in domestic manufacturers were notorious for precarious employment prospects. So the Luddite movement <clears throat> kind of inspired and continued the, the lower class movements in these different industries. Uh, and so there were periodic outbreaks of violence in a number of different settings, you know, whether that was dock workers or, like I said, the, uh, the swing riots. Um, among agricultural workers. Uh, we see this continuing on basically until the s- basically until the second World War, I guess the first world war for, for England. Um, it's after the Second World War that the new welfare system was put in place. Uh, and so a different kind of approach to dealing with poor and working class people was was established. Nowadays the term Luddite is often used to describe someone who is opposed to or resistant to new technologies. Neo-Luddism is kind of the term to uh, describe people who are, you know, opposed to forms of technology, especially new technology. A manifesto drawn up by the Second Luddite Congress in April of 1996 in Barnesville, Ohio, called it a leaderless movement of passive resistance to consumerism and the increasingly bizarre and frightening technologies of the computer age. Cool. And so, yeah, that's, that's Luddites. So there we go. Nice. Named after the fictitious character of Ned Ludd, and uh, yeah, they were textile workers who were fed up with the conditions that they were put in.
1: That makes sense. So, this has been this has been very helpful. So thank you.
0: You're welcome. So, are you ready for a quiz?
1: I am always ready for a quiz.
0: This quiz might seem a little weird I, I had a hard time coming up with questions um because you know as i as i read through it there's not a lot of specific detail <laughs> and not a lot of names right not a lot of people or like particular things but we'll, we'll we should do okay all right here we okay. go question one luddites is spelled with two d's luddites with one d or Ludim? is a Hebrew term referring to a group of people mentioned in the books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Some scholars suggest that they are Lydians from Asia Minor, others place them anywhere west of Egypt, from Tunis to the Atlas Mountains. However, it is clear that the Ludim are not descendants of Lud, son of Shem, son of what rainbow-loving Genesis character?
1: Uh, Shem is a son of Noah.
0: That is correct. I was pretty sure you'd get this one <laughs> uh yeah so if you see luddite with one d that can refer to any uh, apparently a group of people from either asia minor or libya some scholars even say it's like a a, a scribal error that it's huh. supposed to be like lubim to refer to like libyans huh. who knows but but apparently it's it's Everyone agrees it's not descendants of Lud, because that's someone else, or something else. All right, question two. You're at 20 points already. If this question were on Jeopardy!, Emily would be sure to get it. Quote, like the title, The Triumph of General Ludd is an English folk ballad about the titular hero and namesake of the Luddites. It tells the tale of the hero of Nottinghamshire, who got knocked down but got back up again. The song was revived on the 2003 album English Rebel Songs from 1381 to 1984 by what band whose biggest hit came six years earlier?
1: I guess it must be Chumbawamba.
0: You guess it must be Chumbawamba, and it is. Chumbawamba. <laughs> I
1: was like, surely not the Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs>
0: no, but it is Chumbawamba, it's which Chumbawamba. Like looking at stuff about Ned Ludd, I was like, what? Chumbawamba took a song. Like they have an album of English folk songs.
1: Uh huh.
0: That is oh that's so bizarre. And I'll tell you what, it does not sound like tub thumping. It is
1: mm.
0: like they were they are true to the folk style. Uh, I gave it a listen. It's pretty good. Anyway, yeah, it's Chumbawamba. And look, you get to say that again. All right. Yay. Uh, 30 points. Question three. I mentioned the Swing Riots, one of many lower-class uprisings in England resulting from economic depression and increased legislation. Swing, in this case, refers to the fictitious character Captain Swing, which name may be derived from the movement of threshing hands. Swing music is often associated with what other riots in the 1940s Los Angeles named for apparel and and immortalized in another song from
1: 1997. Um, you know, I had no idea there was a historical reference point, but I do remember a song about zoot suit riots. So we're going with that.
0: And that's a good call because it is the zoot suit riots. Huh. Uh, yeah, it was race riots in Los Angeles uh, during huh. the... During the second world war there there grew a like latino counterculture where uh young latino men would wear zoot suits and you know big you know pocket chains and all that stuff and have that particular look about them um they called themselves pachucos and the uh girls who kind of got into that culture too called themselves pachucas and wore particular types of clothes yeah it, it's a it's a really interesting episode Uh, Not a very happy one, since it's basically the idea of it started with uh, white sailors on leave, basically Mm. getting into fights with local Latinos in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, And then all of the media coverage was about how there are just rampant gangs of violent Latinos. No mention of the the white sailors. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Zoot Suit Riots. Mm. All right. Those are, I gave you. I realize I have two 1997 music clues in a row, but uh, they're. That's it's cool. Okay.
1: That's that's the one year of music that I know. So <laughs> we're all good.
0: All right, you're at 40 points. Question four. Supposedly, Celtic King Lud is buried at Ludgate, which no longer actually exists in West London. April Ludgate is the sardonic intern turned advocate on Parks and Recreation. She is portrayed by witch actress, who also played Lenny Busker on Legion? Cat Adams on Criminal Minds, and most importantly, the voice of Grumpy Cat in the 2014 TV movie, Grumpy Cat's Worst Christmas Ever.
1: I can picture her, but I cannot remember her name. Yeah, I don't remember her name. I'm just going to pass.
0: Okay, that is Aubrey. Well, let's,
1: say, let's say Smith.
0: Okay, it's Aubrey Plaza.
1: Oh, okay. All right. That does ring a bell, but I was not going to get it. Yeah.
0: She's had she's had a lot of roles. She does a lot of voiceover work. So so she, she does a lot of voice work. And yeah, looking up her IMDb, it was like, oh, wow. She's had a lot of roles. Uh, she recently has a couple uh, leading roles in movies. I think one's coming out in like a month. Uh, okay. Question five. Speaking of recurring characters on TV shows, we now turn to the Disney Channel. Ned Ludd is a recurring character who abhors technology and lives in the woods outside of the metropolis of San Francisco. He occasionally interacts with the handful of scientists slash superhero protagonists in what series based on a 2014 movie, which was based on a comic series that began in
1: 1998. Oh, jeez. Um... I'm not coming up with anything. Um, the Eternals is a Disney thing that I have not watched, and I don't know what it's about, so I'm going to guess that.
0: Okay, uh, The Eternals <laughs> is a Marvel...
1: Uh, oh no, it's it, Marvel! It is oh a Marvel no. thing,
0: and it's also from, Yikes. like, 2021. Ah, uh, this that's,
1: is, a, that's very not the, not the correct answer. It's okay. not.
0: This is Big Hero 6.
1: Oh no, I've seen Big Hero 6! Darn it! Ah, Sorry. Oh, that's very embarrassing. Okay.
0: That's okay. You still have 40 points. And our final category is current events.
1: It's the last episode
0: of the season.
1: Okay. All right. Fine. Let's let's go big or go home. Let's let's wager all of it.
0: Yay. All
1: right.
0: (laughs) Here it is. (laughs) I'm going to give you zero. I know this is hard. No. Um. All right. As I said, neo-Luddism is a fear or opposition to modern technology either as a rejection of consumerism and escapism or as a resistance to changes in industrial and work practices. Along with that mentality comes the Luddite fallacy, which is the fear that technological unemployment inevitably generates structural unemployment and is consequently macroeconomically injurious. Those are not my words. I took that from a like a definition. Uh, However, data suggests that that is simply not accurate. However, that mentality is often used to oppose progressive initiatives. One example is the energy industry, which riles up blue-collar workers to oppose what three-word legislative plan meant to move the country towards sustainable and ecologically safe practices.
1: It's the Green New Deal.
0: It is the Green New Deal. And the Luddite fallacy plays into that quite a bit.
1: Uh, How could we possibly
0: stop using coal? What will all of the people who work in the coal industry do? It's like, well, if we properly train them to do the new jobs, then they'll do the new jobs.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Are there people who are like so fundamentally fundamentally passionate about coal Probably not. They're fundamentally passionate about putting food on the table for their family. Uh huh. Yes, it is a Green New Deal, uh, and we face the Luddite fallacy on a whole bunch of that kind of thing. So. Yep. Nice. You did eighty points. Well done. Yay!
1: Well, this was fun, and and uh, a helpful deep dive. I uh, it was it was good to have um, more complete context. For the Luddites, so uh, so, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, um, and thank you, listeners, for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you would. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreoncom potables And if you have friends who are fans of Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast.
0: You can all find us on Facebook at Potent potables on Twitter at Potent Podibles One. Our email address is potentpodablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com.
1: We'll be back, not next week, but uh, as the new season of Jeopardy approaches. uh, And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker.